Hello everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Tokenize podcast where we discuss real world use cases of digital assets. Today we have Nick Dukov, head of institutional growth at the Solana Foundation. Thanks for joining me Nick. Thanks so much for having me. Br- brilliant. So let's start briefly with an introduction Nick. Would you probably mind sharing a little bit of your career journey with us and of of course about your role at Solana Foundation as well? Sure. So I recently joined the Solana Foundation as head of institutional growth. I started my career as a securities lawyer shortly after the dot com um and I worked on financing transactions, M&A, IPOs, mostly with technology companies. And the joke I make is that entrepreneurship looked so easy that I thought I'd quit my very prestigious, high-paying, comfortable big law firm job and go into the wilderness of becoming a startup founder. And so I did that in 2010. And I started a company uh in the data services space that was backed by Tim Draper and was very fortunate that that company was acquired by a public company in 2014. And this is where my blockchain journey begins because my co-founders um began really investing in Bitcoin. And I had already moved on to another startup was doing other stuff but they kept talking about bitcoin and how interesting it was and so i began to pay attention probably around 2015 and that was around the time of the ethereum uh dutch auction and the cto of the startup that i was at at the time um participated in that and i remember sitting right next to him um you had to have bitcoin on your you know hardware wallet on your machine in order to participate in the auction And then a year or two after that a good friend of mine named Dave Balter who is the founder of Flipside Crypto um began doing research and pulling data on at the time what were called altcoins or altchains. And so even though I was not um working in blockchain full time as my day job it was taking more and more of my hobbyist time um as I went deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole and so when I sold my most recent startup in 2021 I said I've got to do this full time. It's just taking up, you know, too much of my my mental energy and attention because I just was totally bought into it and how it was going to change the way that we did so many things. And was fortunate to land at a venture fund in Boston where I was focused on our blockchain investments. And then um this fall I had the good fortune of talking to a friend Nikhil Kumar who was at the Solana Foundation and learned that they were thinking about uh, building out an institutional vertical and I just fell in love with the team fell in love with the vision I was already familiar of course with Solana um and and their um particular uh, approaches to um everything which I was enamored with um and now a few months later i'm having the time of my life uh, and i'm jealous so let's let I just want before we jump into the next set of questions i just want to say one thing um and i keep stressing this with every episode the purpose of our tokenized podcast is to simplify the narrative across uh across digital assets and help mainstream audience really appreciate the possibilities of this this innovative landscape um so on that note maybe we could uh talk a little bit about what solana is and again as maybe a, the relationship between solana labs and the foundation 
and what how how do how do these things come together in the grand scheme of things sure so solana is a high performance layer 1 blockchain that has pioneered extreme speed and throughput at web scale without sacrificing security or decentralization it can process over 65000 transactions per second with a block time of only 400 milliseconds and this industry leading performance opens up possibilities for entirely new types of decentralized applications and business models that could not operate easily on prior instantiations of blockchain technology the performance more more closely mirrors web 2 performance and that creates things that are opportunities that are only possible on solana um with respect to the difference between labs and foundation again i work at the foundation solana labs builds products tools and reference implementations to further expand the solana ecosystem and the foundation was founded with a mission to advance the adoption of the decentralized technology as a public good and we do this through activities like education data resources hackathons community events and and of course grant funding and so in summary labs focuses on you know kind of the r&d and the foundation focuses on enabling ecosystem growth and both do this in a decentralized manner leveraging the community of contributors validators you know and application developers around the world to drive real world adoption brilliant and uh, just double clicking into something you mentioned there when we talk about decentralized organizations can we maybe spend a couple of minutes talking about what what they look like how do you how do you work with each other how does this whole model come together because i'm i'm sure we I'll, i'll connect this to my uh, question later that comes on this episode but i just want to just for the audience's benefit it will help if if we explain what a decentralized organization is sure so we we don't have a headquarters per se um we do, we do then i'm talking about the foundation in particular here um we do have offices in new york chicago and san francisco but we have people all over the world and, and we operate in a highly you know decentralized and autonomous manner where you know there are clear goals that are set by the foundation directors and then folks like me are hired with a very clear roadmap and you know um set of goals and and KPIs to hit and then we marshal resources across the organization and across the ecosystem beyond the foundation in order to achieve those goals um we do this with a very small number of people i mean i think it it often surprises people how how few um employees there are both on the labs and the foundation side um and that enables us to move very very fast just like our blockchain brilliant um and uh, i just want to discuss uh, a couple of uh, use cases that kind of uh, does quite well on solana a lot of use cases actually do well on solana but yesterday i think we were doing a transaction at home we were, i think we were purchasing books or something on amazon and the transaction took about 4 5 seconds you could see that there was a little bit of a delay and i said solana does better than that um i mean it's very instantaneous that frankly i come from the ethereum world that's where i started my blockchain journey it wasn't with bitcoin it was with ethereum um having used ethereum um i really started using solana in anger back in 2021 i just couldn't believe that that a blockchain could do provide that kind of a user experience so can you for the benefit of our audience talk a little bit about the use cases that are being exp- explored 
and the opos narrative only possible on solana narrative um other chains would typically struggle to perform those uh, or, or satisfy those use cases whereas solana doesn't have to struggle and it's already there and and life sure so i i think it's important to talk about the how so as we mentioned solana is known for the extremely high transaction speeds and predictable low fees um compared to other blockchains and to handle that that type of scale you need a parallelized execution environment and so uh, you you mentioned that um you know you come from the ethereum world and frankly everyone who's been in the space for a while does right um including myself and um uh, the EVM is sequential. So every transaction has a global write block on the entire state. In Solana, the big innovation is that it's parallelized. Every transaction specifies the state um, that's going to read and what will write before it executes. And th- th- this allows for that high performance. And L2, ZK proofs, and sidechains don't address this problem. It just puts the, the same problem on a different chain. And the other big innovation, and, and there's so many that, I, that we don't have enough time to talk about the many innovations. Um, that Solana has introduced to the market. But the second big one is around the, the predictable low fees. And this is in part um, enabled by localized fee markets. So fees only affect other transactions utilizing the same state, which avoids the need for global gas fees. This is why um, when Ethereum is got um, you know a big mint or, or a lot of um, transactions on the network, the um, base level gas fee goes, you know, quite high. And that then impacts every single um, transaction on the entire network, including on layer two networks. With Solana, only the specific smart contract in question where there's a fee spike is affected. The rest of the network maintains its its predictable low fees. And so an example in, in recent history was the Mad Lads um, mint you know, created an enormous amount of, of demand and, and the network didn't even have a blip. Um, and so I think those two things, the parallelized, um, transactions are with respect to the consensus mechanism and the localized speed markets allow the network to have such high speeds at predictable low cost. Brilliant. I mean, the Mad Lads, I actually was part of the mint, uh, and I still hold on to that NFT fondly. Um, so I, for I, you. Yeah, because it, 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 they tried it for three days, right? Three consecutive days. Uh, it was very odd time, even for, the, for a Londoner. They were doing it very early morning, and we had to stay up for three days to get the mint right. And a couple of days, we had DDoS attacks and all that, so they had to postpone it, and the third day, we, we got that in the end. So it was the entire community rallying behind Armani and his team to make it happen. And frankly, that was that was one of the aha moments from a technology perspective. Um, followed by, of course, we have had a couple of airdrops the last few weeks. That's been very smooth as well. And we had the helium migration as well, where uh, compressed NFTs were used to, to, to capture the state of the network and move them to Solana. That was, again, another innovation. I mean, it's like... It, that was a technology model as well, just to think about it. So it's uh, it's been a fascinating year for Solana, but we didn't get that that easily. So should we maybe touch upon the, the events of the last 18 months and what has really happened consciously behind the scenes 
to effect such an amazing turnaround in the narrative around uh, around Solana. Yeah, so I maybe you know zoom out and and state what I think is is the truth, which is the whole crypto space has faced you know a a number of challenges over the past eighteen months. Um, but I believe there are really positive signs that things are moving, you know, in, in a very great direction. Um, so, you know, I think what you're referring to is, you know, FTX and, you know, what I would say about that is it was just a year ago, a little over a year ago, um, when that all came out and, and now barely a year later, SBF has been found guilty. And, um, I read a article in the newspaper just this week that, the bankruptcy estate could return as much as 90 cents on the dollar or more. So, you know, ho- hopefully this was just a really bad dream. And, you know, like most people can be made whole um, and justice will be served. Um, but kind of m- moving on um, from that, I think there are other, you know, headwinds that are beginning to abate. The SEC, of course, has had a very um, disfavorable opinion of of crypto and you're starting to see those cases that they brought against defendants like ripple and coinbase um receive um you know the the courts are ruling in a in a manner that's more favorable to the defendants than to the sec and you know these haven't fully worked their way through the system yet but i suspect that um we'll see favorable results for the defendants in those cases and and others that are brought by the SEC. And this is incredibly positive for the crypto industry, not just in the US, but globally. There are, of course, other markets in the in the world that have created more clear regulatory frameworks, um, such as Singapore and Mika. And I think that's terrific. And the United States doesn't shouldn't want to fall behind with respect to innovation. Um, and so I hope and suspect we'll see more regu- regulatory clarity in the next 12 months. And I think the market is already anticipating that, um, which is, which is causing both companies, large and small, to invest more in the space, knowing that that regulatory clarity, um, is likely to come in, in the coming months, um, and quarters. And I'll keep going, um, on, on that note, you know, the Binance settle, Binance settlement, um, which, you know, was fairly large in absolute terms, was still much smaller than other bank settlements. So JP Morgan paid a $13 billion settlement related to the mortgage crisis a, a little over a decade ago. And, you know, people forget that. I, I think the fact that um, everyone except the SEC, all of the major U.S. regulators kind of um, chose to participate in that settlement shows that folks are looking to move move past you know, penalize the bad actors in the space. And unfortunately, there are bad actors in the space or bad actors in every space. Um, and, you know, again, clear, clear the air so that the good actors, the innovators can, you know, have more room to run and um, create value that can accrue back to, you know, everyone that is participating in these markets. Um, and furthermore, all signs seem to indicate that one or more spot Bitcoin ETFs are going to be approved in the coming weeks, um, perhaps as early as mid-January. And if what happens there is anything like what happened when gold ETFs came to market, 
it could bring you know billions of dollars of inflows um, into the ecosystem. Which, of course, if you look at history, when Bitcoin rises, Ethereum rises, and then everything else um, rises as well. And 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 that leads to, of course, more innovation, energy, excitement in the ecosystem. And then the last thing, which uh, you know I, I want to call out, which I think is as important, if not more, than all these other factors, is if you look at the data. Daily active users, transaction volumes um, are are just increasing and in, in you're hitting new highs. And I think that's the most exciting thing to me is that the builders are back. Um, and, um, you know, many folks have been building throughout the bear, but, you know, folks are coming back to this market in a, in a very meaningful way. Um, and while I try not to pay much attention to price movement, I think you can see the market voting with their feet on, you know, where the industry and where Solana is headed. Brilliant. Uh, that was a very comprehensive answer. So thank you so much for that, Nick. Uh, with that context, let's now spend some time talking about uh, your enterprise uh, strategy and growth strategy around uh, SPE, the Solana Permission Environment. So, um, so can you tell us a little bit about what your mandate is uh, from a growth strategy perspective? What are the key areas you're focusing on? A permission blockchain is a type of private blockchain that requires approval in order for nodes to participate in the network or access data. Public blockchains like Solana allow anyone to join, read, or write to the public ledger, but permission blockchains have an access control layer that restricts these privileges. Access is typically controlled by a set of rules or agreements that determine who can submit transactions or view data, and these are controlled by one organization or, in some cases, a consortium of organizations. Participating nodes in permissioned environments are typically known identified entities that are given access to join the network via predefined permissions that often go beyond simple KYC AML, and public participants are not usually allowed. Solana's permission environment refers to a private access-controlled Solana virtual machine environment optimized for enterprise needs like throughput, compliance, and connectivity. They provide the performance and tooling of Solana with the security and permissioning required for regulated or sensitive applications in financial markets, payments, and other verticals. It's very easy to spin up an SPE on the cloud, such as AWS, GCP, or Azure, as well as on-premise infrastructure. An example of a Solana permission environment is the Pith Network, which was designed specifically to provide Oracle services and connects Solana's blockchain to external data sources, serving as a crucial aggregator for real-world smart contract execution. Pith chose Solana for the rapid data processing and minimal latency needed and were met by Solana's high-throughput infrastructure. Solana's robust security model combined with Pith's dedicated Oracle services ensure reliable and secure data for smart contracts. And Solana's scalable environment enables Pith to expand its services and accommodate a growing range of applications and data demands. Brilliant. And... uh... What's your unique positioning? Because if you think about it, this, uh, the, the SP, Solana's uh, permission environment, uh, it's not the first to be out there. We've had Corda for years. We've had Hyperledger. And more recently, we had Polygon Supernets and Avalanche.nets. So w- what are the use cases that SPEs can perform better than its uh, competitors? You know, one of the great things about working on a Solana permission environment is is because it is just a fork of Solana, you still get the same access to all of the other innovations on um, the Solana 
um, mainnet, including things like token extensions that are upcoming as part of the token 22 um, token extension program, things like confidential transfers, interest-bearing tokens, non-transferable tokens, and the like, which is very exciting. Um, and then the same Solana community and ecosystem that everybody knows and loves. Um, folks in the community are just overwhelmingly generous with support and by building in this network, you get access and become part of the great Solana ecosystem. Brilliant. And uh, just to add to that, it's from my, my understanding of this whole uh, approach. Uh, I think payments is of course going to be pretty critical because there are not many blockchains out there that can compete with the throughputs that Solana can offer at this point. Um, they're all at the moment really building building the infrastructure and claiming theoretical numbers that are possibilities in the future that is, is here and now. The other use case I think could also really work is something like a NASDAQ where you have to have order books, right? So um, this is something I've, I've learned in the last year or so uh, because traditionally DeFi has worked on uh, liquidity providers and smart based um, transactions. But as you start getting order books and liquid instruments coming in, um, particularly if you wanted to support NASDAQs where you have, you have FX, whether it's, it's a highly liquid um, asset class, you'll need, um, you'll need blockchains like Solana that can form uh, on an order book like in a construct. I think those to me, or at least on my head, kind of USP or SPE really. Um, I don't think any other blockchain at, at this point has got a live environment at scale that can achieve these uh, these uh, use cases. I mean, I'm so glad you brought that up because you know, as as you probably know, Tolly has said that the use case he had in mind, you know, when kind of creating uh, the early primitives that you know became Solana was going for central limit order books. Um, he wanted to be able to run something like the NASDAQ on a public permissionless blockchain. And I think that um, Solana has the best shot at becoming you know, the on-chain hub for, for global finance. Brilliant. Um, there's one tough question about SPEs that is on my head I've never been able to answer. So I've, I come from um, traditional capital markets, technology, uh, teams where we've basically put a lot of vendors through a lot of pain. And when you're engaging with these large institutional players, you have to be able to go through some of the red tapes, security reviews, architecture reviews, vendor risk reviews. And of course, uh, my, 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 the best one is the procurement process as well. Um, how does a decentralized organization Deal with this. I mean, this is not just a Solana question, as it is. It, this, this is this is a common problem across all um, enterprise type solutions offered by the likes of Avalanche, Polygon. E each of these organizations will, will have to figure out a way of engaging with the JP Morgans and the City Banks of the world. So, how how are you thinking of going about this? What are the options you're exploring? Sure. So, at least as of now, the Solana permission environment is not a SaaS hosted offering. The foundation isn't providing a service, but rather providing resources to support enterprises, you know, developing on their own, um, you know, governed Solana virtual machine. Um, you know, as a permission environment, um, they can customize 
uh, it extensively um, to their own spe- specific parameters, you know, including a validator set that you know is is conforming to whatever their their needs are. Um, and you know, this approach you know streamlines um, the enterprise's needs to be able to be highly configurable and compliant, uh, while also being consistent with the Solana Foundation's role as a decentralized organization that is supporting the Solana ecosystem. Okay, brilliant. So uh, one of the comparisons I, I often make on my head is, for instance, with Ethereum, um, there, there are still a lot of um, EVM uh, enterprise products which are largely kind of taken to market by consensus, for instance. Um, so. I, I kind of see an opportunity there, um, and uh, and for for someone to take up the role of a consensus. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, I, I think there there will definitely be an opportunity for someone to build the red hat for Solana permission mm-hmm. environments. You know, that could very well be you know Solana Labs, um, or it could be you know one of the many companies that are already participating in the Solana ecosystem, like Helios. Um, so I, I think we'll see more of those come around as the demand grows for um, this type of uh, product offering. You've got me really curious now. I need to talk to Mark about his plans to become the consensus of Solana ecosystem. But uh, anyways, that's the, thanks for that. Thanks for that too. Uh, okay, so the last question I want to ask you, uh, in a couple of years' time, uh, what would you like to have achieved um, through your to your work at the Solana Foundation. So like you mentioned, you know, Tolly's original vision was to build a public permissionless blockchain that could perform at the speeds of something like a NASDAQ. And I think we're well on our way of becoming that on-chain hub for global finance. In recent weeks, we've seen Solana's DEX volume rivaling that of Ethereum's with radically lower fees and, and, and faster speeds. So Solana's already best in class performance will continue to make another step change improvement next year with the upcoming Firedancer Validator client. And so I think with all of that, we'll continue to see more leading global financial institutions like Visa increasingly choose to build on Solana, as well as some of the greatest startups in the world, like Pith choosing to build on Solana as well. And uh, on that amazing note, uh, let's close this discussion. Thank you so much for joining me today and for all the insights and sharing your journey so far. Thanks so much for having me. I always enjoy chatting. And uh, the last time we got together was at Breakpoint. And hopefully I'll see you before next year's Breakpoint. But whether it be in London or Singapore or somewhere else, it's always a pleasure speaking with you.